Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hi, everyone, and welcome to My Millennial Money Medical. And in this episode, we'll discuss the concept of pay yourself first. What is it? If you want me to discuss a specific topic, or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. For those of you that are new to the channel, there are three main aims. The first aim is to be educated, and that means to improve your personal financial literacy. And that leads to the second aim, with that knowledge, you can now feel empowered, which means you can take it to your personal financial advisor and speak at a level that both of you can understand in. And the third aim is to be entertained. Now, just a disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor, not an accountant, I'm not a lawyer, nor am I a financial planner. Make sure you take any financial decisions you want to make to one of your credentialed advisors after listening to one of my episodes. If you're stuck on what to do in terms of broad principles, here are some simple steps to get you in the right track when it comes to saving, investing, and personal finance in general. In my humble view, there are five easy steps which anybody could follow. Step one is you've got to pay yourself first. I think you need to take at least 20% of after-tax income and put it aside. Why? Because you're the most important person in your life. Step two is you've got to invest that money, ideally into something you understand or want to understand. For me, I just invest in the stock market because I understand the stock market. Step three is wherever possible, you've got to reinvest dividends because the power of reinvesting dividends and the power of compounding is phenomenal. Step four is you got to do it for the long term. Now, I'm not talking 5, 10, or even 15 years. In my page, long term is at least 20, 30, if not 40 plus years. And step five is wherever possible, you got to automate the investments forever. And if you just follow these five simple steps over the long term, you're more likely to have more money than you'll ever need. And remember, money is just a tool. It doesn't bring happiness. Use it as a tool to make your life a little bit better, but most importantly, the lives of people around you a lot better. Now to the main topic, what is pay yourself first? What does it actually mean? It means when you get your pay, the actual money that goes into your bank account, you need to set aside a specific percentage of it. Now, setting aside means taking a specific percentage and putting it into another account. Wherever possible, this process has to be automated. This is one of the most fundamental steps you need to master in personal finance 
before you do anything else with the money. Traditional methods such as paying all the bills and then saving what's left over just doesn't work because most of the time there isn't much to save at the end of the spending cycle. When you pay yourself first, it just means you consider yourself as the most important person in your life. And that's a really important concept to understand. So when I say you're the most important person in your life, I'm not saying your kids, your parents, your better half, your worst half, your uncles, your aunts, your grandparents. I'm saying you. So how much then do you need to set aside? How much is this pay yourself money, which is after tax? Now, the practical answer to this is you've got to pay yourself as much as you can. But what I have found in my own life is you've got to aim for at least 20% of after-tax money. Because I've found anything less than 20% in the long term isn't great for retirement planning. And anything more than 20% in the long term, unless you have a really big income, can really impair your lifestyle. So, Let's use an example to highlight this point. Amy is a 36-year-old paramedic who earns $120,000 per year. This includes any overtime, but doesn't include super. She gets 10% super from her employer, which is around $12,000. She has no consumer debts. And this means her monthly salary is around $7,339 after tax. Now, Amy decides to pay herself 20% of after-tax money, which works out to be roughly around $1,500 per month. So how can Amy automate this process? Now, she'll know exactly or roughly when she gets paid, either fortnightly or monthly. Most healthcare workers in Australia, if they're employed in the state public health system, get paid fortnightly. Then it's a matter of setting up automatic account transfers using a netbank. Now, she may wish to set up a fortnightly auto transfer from account A, which receives a salary, to account B, which is her pay-yourself account. So she can just auto transfer $750 every fortnight. Which means she has about $5,839 per month to live on. Now, this means no matter what, she can spend all of that money if she wishes, knowing that she's already paid herself $1,500 a month. And that's why this method is so powerful. You don't need to worry about what you'll spend your money on. Now, you just got to make sure that you don't spend all of it before the next pay cycle, because if you do, that's a red flag. So you need to make sure you still have a budget for the $5,839 but she's already set aside the $1,500 pay-yourself money. Now, what happens if Amy can't do the 20% of after-tax income? That's fine, but I think it should be something she strives for. So maybe initially, Amy can do 10% and then try and find ways to reduce her expenses so eventually she will get to 20%, because I've just found anything more than 20% can impair lifestyle whilst anything less than 20% means there isn't much savings happening at all. But more than anything here, it's the behaviour we need to master. The behaviour of setting aside a set portion of your after-tax income, which is absolutely vital moving forward. 
Now, what about her super contribution? Her employer contributes $12,000 of super from into her, into her um, super fund. Can that be counted towards the 20% rule? Now, fundamentally, I think it can't be counted. And that might come across as quite harsh because I wouldn't consider super to be part of the after-tax income. It's great that $12,000 is being contributed to a super, but I don't think we can use this as part of the pay-yourself money. Out of principle. However, if someone wants to use it initially because they've got some cash flow issues, I don't really mind, but I think everyone should strive to achieve 20% pay-yourself money in addition to super. So then the question is, what does she do with that $1,500 pay-yourself money? Well, she has a range of options, and the obvious thing is she needs to consider is a few things. Number one, what is the purpose of that money? Is she saving money to buy a home? Is she saving for a retirement? Is she saving for a kid's college fund, for example? And number two is, what is her risk profile? Is she happy to take a lot of risk? Is she happy to take some risk or moderate risks? And the third thing is, how long does she have to invest? Now, she's only 36, so, you know, assuming if we're investing for the long term, she has potentially at least 20 to 30 years left in the investing runway. And what sort of returns does she want? Is she expecting, you know, 5% return or 10% return or, you know, 20% return? She's going to have a ballpark figure. And then how much is she willing to part with her fees in order to pay for her investments. Remember, everything costs money. Nothing is free. So Amy has to decide how much fees is appropriate for her to pay. So using these sort of parameters, let's use an example to highlight this points. Now suppose Amy decides to use that $1,500 monthly fee or monthly pay yourself money, sorry, to invest in the stock market. And she's a great fan of index funds and ETFs. So she's decided that she's going to put $1,500 into index funds or ETFs. And she's decided that because she's only 36, her investing runway is 30 years. So she wants to invest up until the age of 66, let's say. And because she's relatively young, she can afford to take a little bit more risks. And that's why she decides to invest in the stock market. Now, the most important concept here that I want you to understand is risk does not equate to volatility. The stock market is very volatile. It goes up, it goes down, it changes, you know, numbers very frequently. But over the long term, if you put money into the stock market, particularly broad-based ETFs or index funds, which is relatively boring, 99 times out of 100 over the long term, 20, 30 years time, you're going to make money. So the risk of losing your capital and losing your money in the stock market is actually very, very low. But you're going to have a hefty ride to enable that. So it's a bit like going on a roller coaster. If you have your hands and everything inside the roller coaster, if you wear your seatbelts and pay attention to the safety briefings, the roller coaster goes up and down. It's very volatile and it's potentially scary and it's exhilarating. But 99% of people are fine 
and they finish the roller coaster and they're back to their starting point. So you don't get hurt in a roller coaster. And Dave Ramsey says this all the time. You only get hurt off a roller coaster if you jump off midway. And that's why investing is for the long term. Now, back to Amy's case, supposing she's looking for a returns of about 7% over the long term. And of course, she understands that this is not guaranteed. And she wants to keep her fee structure under 0.5% per annum. So if she invested in a fund for 30 years and kept in expenses to 0.2% and contributed consistently of $1,500, she will end up with about $1.7 million at age 66. This is excluding her super. Now, here's a few assumptions. Number one, we're assuming a 7% return, which is, you know, pretty reasonable. Number two is she never gets a pay rise. So she's always earning $120,000 per year, which is a little bit unrealistic. Potentially she gets overtime and extra work and she goes up the rank in AV. And number three is she doesn't contribute more than $1,500 per month. So even when her income goes up, she still stays at $1,500. And number four is she doesn't include her super. Remember, her employer contributes $12,000, beg your pardon, into her super long term. She doesn't include that. Number five is she's got no other investments like property or whatever investments that she may wish to choose to have. So if we include her super, which is likely going to reach around a million dollars in that 30 years time frame, her total portfolio is now $2.7 million. Now, Amy is not a rocket scientist. She's a paramedic, she works hard, and she just keeps things simple and consistent and does things for the long term. The reality is, it's likely that she may score a pay rise somewhere. She may have other investments like property. Her savings rate may be higher during her younger years, but lower if she wishes to have a family. And she may join forces with a future partner if she chooses to go that route. So the notion that you need to earn huge amounts of money, invest huge amounts of money to build a sizable portfolio for your retirement is actually incorrect. In the previous scenarios, we assumed a rate of return of 7%. Now, if we bump it up to 8%, knowing that historically over the last 30 to 40 years, even the Australian stock market has returned about 9%, US stock market about 10 or 11% even, but let's just assume 8%, then her portfolio rises well above $3 million. Now, supposing Amy just waited another 10 years. Supposing she waited until the age of 46 to start investing. Her portfolio, instead of being over $3 million, can potentially only be $1.2 million, assuming similar returns of 7%. So the opportunity cost of waiting 10 years is $1.8 million. So when's a good time to start investing? It was always yesterday. The next best time is today. And the next best time is tomorrow. But before you do anything with your investments, it's absolutely vital people understand the concept of pay yourself first, start investing early. And if you can't pay yourself 20% of after-tax money initially, that's okay, but try and work towards that goal. 
and ensure you contribute to your super, ideally on top of your employer contributions to maximise it. These are not complex principles, but they're timeless. It's been proven. It's relatively tax effective. And you can automate almost every single step. Now, financial concepts, investing, planning for retirement doesn't need to be complex. Just doing a few basic things well over the long term will often be the most important thing for most people. So that's pay yourself first. That's about it for this episode. Remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you may be using, and please leave a positive review. It really makes a big difference for people to find this episode and share it amongst their friends and family. The more ratings and reviews you leave, the more people get access to this podcast. So please do so. This is Dev Raga from My Millennial Money Medical. And until next time, make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorised representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services licence 451289. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.